I'll yeah. try. I'll try to speak up. Yeah, or to, or bring it, or just bring I'll it towards try, your I'll mouth. I'll try to speak up like more. Yeah, or to or bring it, or just bring it towards your mouth. <laughs> I don't like him more. Get it up there. <laughs> you can pull it. Just, I, don't, I think like, you can pull get it. Get it up there. Get it. I think we're close. close. I think you're pretty close. You're pretty close. Lick it. You're pretty close. Really good. You're pretty close. Lick it. Don't start. Keep going. Oh Jesus God. It's Italian. You what is get it? This. What is it? Gugino. Gugino? I don't know. Or Gugino? Gugino? You're Italian. Somebody, you tell us. Somebody freaking help me. Please let my husband know. Double Viagra, <laughs> apparently. He's going to listen to this and yell at me later. <laughs> From Rosemary's Baby and Reggie McNeil, sorry, Jimmy, and Freddie and Chucky, to Samara Jigsaw and Pennywise, we can't get enough. If it's blood curdling, spine tingling, breath cooking, or soul stealing, we are ready to watch it. Welcome to Hilltop Horror Movie Reviews. I'm your host, Ray Richards. With me tonight are my two co-hosts, Ann Conley. Howdy, guys. And Helen Stewart. Hello. So, Ann, how was your vacation? Oh, it was so nice. Um, I don't know if I told you guys where I went, but um, <laughs> I headed on down to Disney World to run a 5K with one of my girlfriends, and it was amazing. I don't know if any of our listeners have ever heard of Run Disney, but it was super cool. We actually got to run through Epcot Center, which was really awesome. Very cool. Uh, the bad thing was it, you know, we were up at 3 a.m. We're on the buses by 4 a.m. We're ready to run at 5 a.m. And we're re- all ready to go. And suddenly we're evacuated for electrical storms, hmm. um, which as you can imagine, did not make the droids very happy. They had to go seek shelter. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so we had to get back on the buses and we were, you know, on there trying not to fall asleep for like the next 45 minutes before we went back to the starting line. We get the text, the Facebook post, and everything that says, okay, runners, back to the starting line. And we look outside, and it's still pouring. <laughs> so we were like, uh, are we sure this is safe? So we're, we're running through the rain, through the lightning, quite honestly. But it was still amazing. So of course, we're running in these, like, silver mylar blankets, like, basically, like, lightning rods on a stick, essentially. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it kept us warm, and I did get to meet R2 at the end, so that was cool. He gave me some bleeps and bloops, and, you know, we're, we're pals now. We've exchanged emails. So, cool, cool. Know. All right, for our new listeners, this is going to be our format for this episode. Uh, first, I'm going to introduce the movie that we are going to be reviewing and rating tonight. Next, Anne is going to tell you about our recommended drink pairing. Then we're going to run through our expectations going into the watch. Next, we're going to play the trailer and review the movie in a roughly chronological order. After that, Helen will take us through our kill, chill, and thrill section. And finally, we're going to wrap things up with our ratings. So tonight, we are going to review the 2017 American psychological horror film, Gerald's Game, directed and edited by Mike Flanagan and written by Jeff Howard and Flanagan. It's based on Stephen King's 1992 novel of the same name. An adaptation of the novel was long thought to be unfilmable until Mike Flanagan came in. The film stars Carla Gugino and Bruce Greenwood. It was released on September 29th, 2017 by Netflix. Okay, so tonight on Anne's Addictions is when we talk about our drink pairings with our film of choice. So tonight, very fittingly, we are going to be doing a mini Prosecco flight for two. In this movie, you have a husband and wife couple that go for a romantic weekend getaway. So we thought it was only fitting to pop the bubbly and share in this his and hers Prosecco flight. (laughs) That was a good one. Woo! Let the romantic weekend with flesh eating begin. (laughs) Yum. 
All right. Well, while Ray and Helen are pouring themselves a little glass of assy, little glass, little glass. <laughs> glug, glug, glug. I'm like, bigger glass, bigger glass. <laughs> That's right. No, just kidding. Fill that sucker up. Assy that we are drinking this evening is from Ravada in Piedmont, Italy. This is a light and fresh sparkler, delicate and effervescent with sweet peach, apricot, and orange blossom notes. It's perfect for everyday drinking for parties, and this assy is a great value and a refreshing treat. So drink up. Cheers. And the second one is a menage a trois Prosecco. This spectacular sparkler is fabulously flirtatious and fun-loving from the first sip to the last. In the glass, delicate bubbles rise to the surface and tickle the nose, releasing a seductive floral fragrance. Refreshing citrus and bright green apple flavors dance across your palate in a burst of effervescent bliss that leads to a crisp, clean finish. So we have on one hand our cheap and sweet and on the other hand, are more expensive and a bit tart. So a little fitting for our two lead characters, if you will. I yeah. like it. All right. Well, next we'll move into our expectations for the movie. So, Helen, why don't you give us your expectations going in? I had none. I didn't know what this was Zero? until the day mm-hmm. I went to go watch it. I've never read the book. I didn't know it was a book. So none. <laughs> That's exciting. <laughs> okay. Wow. Well, Anne. Okay, so I had never heard of it either. Um, This was my pick this evening, but I stumbled across this on the Netflix trailer section, and it just caught my eye. I just thought it seemed really interesting, and then I saw the note of it being a Stephen King adaptation, and I was like, oh, you know, love me some good Stephen King. But it's funny. I think that I had many highs and lows as I went through this process, because as I began to watch the trailer, I was really excited. And then my excitement started to dissipate <laughs> a little bit as I watched the trailer, sort of in that sometimes how Stephen King's movies can be a little superficial-esque or not completely thought through sometimes. And I was like, eh, well, I still like Stephen King, so okay, let's do it. <laughs> oh, and also I like the lead actors. I thought they were both great, you know, in the other productions they've been in. So I was excited to see them. Yeah, so when you mentioned the list of a couple movies you had and that you were going to pick from, I didn't recognize Gerald's Game. But although I have seen the trailer before, and I just couldn't remember, didn't remember the name of it, and when you said it was Stephen King, which I did not know, uh, I was like, oh, well, I'm always down for a Stephen King movie. And then I looked it up when I went to watch it on Netflix, and I was like, oh, this movie. Mm. <laughs> like, I was not digging the trailer when I saw the trailer. So going into it, I kind of had a negative, fairly, I would say negative. I had a, I wasn't really excited. Skeptical. Yeah, I wasn't excited to go see it. All right, well, with that, and why don't you roll the trailer? All right, here we go. It's trailer time and action. This is going to be good for us, Jess, really good. That's a marriage, isn't it? Working on the difficult things. For better or worse. Let's go in, get comfy. you think your husband will be back any minute try to go for help there's no one for miles gerald i'm sorry baby you don't get to know my name i don't like this i'm serious stop I don't like that I... stop it 
<laughs> play. Is this really what it takes these days? God, how did we go so wrong? We were happy once, weren't we? Gerald? What? What's happening? Oh. Gerald! Five hours you've wasted screaming for neighbors that are half a mile away if they're even here yet. How long do you think someone lives without water? Focus. You've been sleepwalking since you were 12 years old. That's a beautiful dress. He put you in those handcuffs way before Gerald did. You're all right, you're all right, Mom. You did everything you need to survive from the beginning. You just have to remember. Back off! If you don't wake up, you're gonna die. Jesse and Gerald arrive at an isolated lake house in Fairhope, Alabama for some time away. While Gerald takes Viagra, Jesse feeds a stray dog outside, but when re-entering the house, leaves the door ajar. Jesse changes into a new nightdress, placing the tag on the shelf above the bed and practices sexy poses. Gerald takes a second Viagra and leaves his glass of water on the same shelf. He restrains Jesse with one handcuff on each wrist locked to the bedpost. She seems a bit surprised by this, but goes along. He begins to enact a stranger rape fantasy, telling her to scream for help knowing no one will hear her. She half-heartedly plays along, but soon becomes uncomfortable telling him to stop and uncuff her. He replies, what if I won't? After a heated argument where he accuses her of not even trying to rekindle their relationship, Gerald dies of a heart attack, falling onto the floor, leaving Jesse in handcuffs. Wow. Okay. Well, here we go. I'll skip a little bit of the dog scene, but I did want to mention about them leaving the door ajar. Did you guys laugh at that? Because in movies, how they always leave the doors open. Right. Oh, Yeah. And, and she even looks at it as she's walking away. Like, yeah, like there's the doors open. Maybe I should. No, I'm not going to close that. And it's and it's like so. I want to say so obvious that you're like, yeah, the dog's going to come through the door. You right. know. I felt like you knew the dog was going to come through the door because we had seen the trailer. Helen, you hadn't seen the trailer. Did you feel like you knew that the dog was going to come through? I knew. So they had um, when they were driving the car, the radio on, and they were talking about burglaries. So it might mm-hmm. not have been the fact that the dog was going to walk through the door, but I knew that you left the door open that these burglaries are in the area, that something was going to go Something wrong. was up. Right. Yeah. Something is amiss. And who, and who leaves the door open? No, I, I totally agree. Like, to me, putting myself in her shoes, what I thought was interesting was, you know, it's like her husband, who she's in a really awkward place with, and they just had this little mini fight about feeding the dog the $200 Kobe steak, Right. So they've already had like this mini altercation and they're both trying to make this like the perfect weekend. So then he's like absconding her off to the to the bedroom and she doesn't want to put like a hair out of place and she doesn't want to say to her husband like, well, wait, we should shut the door and like stop the moment. 
So that's where I felt like for her, like as a female being like almost placated into that situation, just going along. But she instinctively knew something was wrong. Like she knew it was weird. And the, the way that they filmed it, it made you feel awkward and weird. Well, the, and, fact, the fact that he didn't think shut the door. I mean, yeah. I just don't think anybody goes into their house and thinks, let's go back to the bedroom and have sex. And I'm just going to leave the doors open. I guess you're not worried because they said that the nearest neighbor, neighbor was a half a mile away. Mm-hmm. So who cares if... And that, well, you want rac- raccoons and could, stuff could come in your house. I mean, I don't know anything about the <laughs> indigenous species of Alabama. Well, alligators? I was, I was more concerned about, Pythons? like, flies and weird, Ew. like, you know. Yeah, bugs? But, yeah. It was snakes. It was, I don't know. Yeah. Ew. Yeah. <laughs> I was not going all there. I mean, now, now, now I, you have me no, thinking. I got to like, be honest with you. If they'd have replaced that dog with an alligator, it would have been 8,000 times scarier. I don't know if it could have gotten up on the bed, though. Well, I mean, it just could have eaten the guy. Ooh. I mean, it's better that it didn't no, get even, up on the bed because it wouldn't have. Even like, a python just slowly, yeah. just slowly consuming him. Like leg by leg. Uh, <laughs> it like looks up at her every once in a while. Wait, hold on. Hold, let little, it take a second. Oh, yeah, let me take a second. Tongue. Yeah. <laughs> it just never moves. Yeah. You just see the face slowly yeah, creep up over his body. Okay. Um, yeah. But like I thought they acknowledged it. Like I thought they shot it awkwardly on purpose. But it, right from that moment, you're already feeling uneasy. Because to your point, you're like, ah, just go back and close the door. Like, even without the foreshadowing of if the dog was going to come in or if there were burglars or otherwise, it just makes you feel uneasy. Right. I enjoyed the whole setup of everything. So they're packing at their actual home to go to this trip. Mm-hmm. And you see what she's packing, which is this, like, lovely white, I don't want to say negligee, but yeah. like like a gown type thing, like a yeah. sexy gown. Yeah, sexy nightgown. And then gown. he's got his – he puts the two handcuffs in. Yeah. And you're like, well, clearly – they're not on the same page here. <laughs> we are of two minds. Right. Or are they, Helen? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was, um. oh, yeah, I'll have another drink. <laughs> A drink. <laughs> well, we're in Alabama, so we're being classy now. <laughs> Bottoms up. <laughs> Thank you. I thought that was cool how they did a lot of like his and her, uh, to your point in the setup. I thought that was interesting, the way that they did that. Right. Showing her perspective, showing his perspective. Also, they weren't getting ready together. Right. She completed getting ready, left the room, and then he time fast forwarded to his packing as well, which I thought was also weird. Just the other things, just as a very random tangent, I thought the other things were very weird that he was putting in his suitcase that you couldn't see. They were like nondescript, almost like blankets. I was like, I know this is supposed to be like slacks <laughs> and like a shirt or something, uh, you know, of, of that sort. But the way that they presented it, it was completely focused on the handcuffs. So the other items he put in were almost just like beige blankets as fillers. So that was kind of weird from a prop perspective. You mean, I thought that the relationship was interesting, how they kind of framed it at the beginning. And I think they did a decent job of making him not an awful person, right? I mean, he was trying to. In the beginning? Yeah. Okay. I mean... Like, you didn't know he was an asshole at yeah, that point. I don't think... Not but really. I, I, yeah. But I'm not sure he... I'm not sure how much of an asshole he was or a bad person he was. He was a misogynistic I mean, asshole. I mean, they were in a bad place in their relationship, <laughs> I No, think. he had that horrible joke. And he called her out on not saying anything about it. No, that that's her imagination. That's her calling herself out. That's her calling herself out. Right, he was, but like... But he, he was still al- had the joke. He was already yes. dead. He still had the joke, He still though, had the joke. Point. Yeah, but yeah, but he was he was telling the joke to somebody else. That doesn't make it right. Still yeah, misogynistic. But, no, but I'm saying he's not he's oh, not saying it to her. You know what I mean? It's my point. But like he continued with it even after he knew she was there. Yeah, I mean he was drunk. I guess what I'm saying is I don't think in the movie during the parts that you were seeing him 
alive. Like, I didn't feel like he was portrayed as overtly mean, you know what I mean? Or like a bad person. Like, I think he was trying to do what he thought he needed to do to get their relationship so better, you know what I mean? I have to say I disagree wholeheartedly. Okay, right. okay oh. so they're like, I think that the whole relationship was her going off of her daddy issues because he's obviously an older gentleman compared to her. He has, like, when I first saw him, I didn't recognize the actor at first. Mm, mm-hmm. He was, like, very wrinkled. Like, I don't know if it was how they filmed him, but he looked very wrinkly. And he's not an unattractive man. Right, yeah. yeah sure. But when, once he gets into his black skivvies, that's when you see him as being more attractive. Yeah. Well, like, because so you then see, I was, like, his abs. Yeah, you're seeing his abs. He's like, toned. his face doesn't seem as lined. Mm-hmm. But I feel like the whole relationship was him kind of bossing her. Like, she never would speak up for herself. So I don't think he was a nice guy. I get what you're saying, which is he was leading, right, the the whole thing. Like, he was trying to to lead them. But I felt like what he was trying to do, and not saying it was right, but he was trying to do what he thought would make the relationship better. For get, him. Make them closer. No, I, I just think make them closer. I'm not really sure. You know what I mean? Somehow I mean, he's doing I it for me. I don't think handcuffing a woman to a bed and practically saying, "I'm what if I, what if I just leave you handcuffed? What if I just rape you? Like... That's not going to make your relationship. No, no, but I think what he was trying to do is he's trying to play this. He's trying to play into this role-playing thing, which which they reference like they had had a conversation before about like spicing things up. And obviously spicing like – Spicing things up don't mean like well, rape play. Well, obviously that's – obviously he thought that's where it was going and she didn't think that's where it was going. I'm not saying they communicated well. My point is I don't think he was trying to necessarily terrorize her. I think you're gonna lose this one. Right? <laughs> I don't. I don't know. I don't. I don't. I don't know. I just. I don't think so. Like I think he was because because when because when she well, bites his when she bites his lip and he's like, what the hell? Like what's going on? Which like, feeds right into rape play. So I'm surprised he wasn't like, oh yeah, baby. But that's the point. The point is, he, it was play. He was actually just trying to do this thing that he thought was gonna kind of get them outside their comfort zone and outside of the headspace they were in. Because then he's like, wait, before before he has a heart attack, and you see here in the trailer, he's like. Where do we go? Where do we go wrong, or whatever he says? So, like, I don't think ultimately he was a bad person. You know what I mean? Like a bad, a villain necessarily. I just think that he was. I think he was kind of messed up in his, you know, marriage. But anyway, that's okay. my opinion. Okay, Anne's going to chime in here. Um, <laughs> go ahead, Anne. <laughs> Thank you. I'm going to get in there. All right. Deal breaker. So, so all right. You're you're both going to love me and hate me, but I understand what you're trying to say, Ray. That it was more of a slow build. That immediately out of the gate like in the car and stuff like that like you don't know that he's like a cheating womanizing asshole yet right you, you like you, because I, uh, uh, because to your point you see like this dynamic between husband and wife and he's like touching her leg and she's kind of like eh, not now like you can sense that there are marital issues but it's very real you know i mean maybe he wants to touch her maybe she doesn't want to be touched right now maybe she's cold and he's just trying to to your point right to like be a little bit closer like those are very real marital issues you know d- despite like where you know the emotional undertoes lie um and then as they get to the house you can see that he has done all this work to prepare the house for their weekend right he's got the landscapers he's mowed the lawn he's shopped he's stocked the fridge so He's trying to have a very nice weekend with his wife, which I appreciate. But then to Helen's point, they get into the rape role play, which to Ray's point, I think they start off in like a let's do something fun, let's do something sexy, but then it goes too far. And at that point, a good husband 
would stop. At that point, the husband would say, I'm sorry, baby, unlock her immediately and talk about it. He actively chooses not to and actively chooses to take it to the next level and threaten her after she's clearly visibly disturbed. I mean, she is sobbing and he threatens her. I mean, that is not something. And then when you go, you know, further into the movie, as she's playing back in her psyche, you hear he's cheating on her these long weekends, blah, 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 and so on. Yeah, and and I do want to point out that everything she he you learn about him after he's dead is things she thinks is true about him, not right. necessarily things that are right. true about him. Which is fair, which is her perspective yeah, yeah. and her speculation, but nevertheless. Yeah. Right. I, I yeah. do feel that when you have an assumption like that, you're usually correct in that assumption. People don't usually jump to that conclusion. You in her persona and her character, mm-hmm. she was a person who kind of hid things under the rug and just dealt with it. She let him be the dominant. She let him do whatever it was that he needed to do to feel more like a man, and she just sat there quietly. So I feel like this was her coming out saying, I am realizing that this happened, and her dealing with that. So mm-hmm. I do feel that he was, in fact, cheating on her. Yeah, I don't know about him cheating on her. I think, like I said, I think I don't think the movie speaks to whether or not that's true. But I will say that, I, I guess my point is, I don't see them, him as the villain and her as the as the victim as much as I see them as messed up people. And like, you don't really get his perspective of it because he dies so quickly. You get her thoughts around his perspective of it, right? Like a lot of the stuff that, a lot of the villainy sort of things I feel, uh, he he ex- he is the the negative psyche of her, kind of. You know what I mean? Like as he's, right. as he's there, and then she herself, of course, shows up as the more... Like the angel like, on the shoulder. Like, the yeah, exactly. That's yeah. the thing. And, the, the, and of course, the real villain is the father, as we find out. You know what I mean? Is that causes all her issues. Not going to defend him? Well, we're not there yet. <laughs> we're not there yet. We'll get there. I just um, feel like the movie was an entire play on an imprisonment of the physicality and an imprisonment of your mental being. Mm-hmm. No, I, I completely agree. I don't so I th- disagree with that at all. Yeah, I feel like she married her father, essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he right. was an abusive person regardless of... Whether or not it was physical abuse, it was very well mental abuse as well. Yeah, no, I mean, I, she obviously feels that way. I mean, I think that's what the, the movie's saying is that she feels like she married a person that has the same power dynamic that her father had. I'm not sure about the abusive part. I mean, in the book, interestingly, apparently, th- this was not supposed to be the first time that they were doing like this like role-playing stuff. But like this time she didn't want to go further. Mm-hmm. So, like, I'm wondering how that changes the dynamic of, like, in the book, I wonder how it changes the, di- di- the excuse me, the dynamic of those two characters. You know what I mean? Right. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, is, you know, the husband's supposed to be, like, the number one villain in this movie? No. I mean, is he a perfect guy? No. I mean, the point is that it's, like, the juxtaposition of the horror of the situation that she's in, right? Being yeah, yeah, yeah. handcuffed. Like, he died. Regardless, you know, better or for worse, he died. She's trapped in this situation. And then it's the horror of being in that situation juxtaposed with the horror in her mind, right? And coming to the realize exactly like Helen's saying, how she's trapped in her psyche in these situations and how she's put herself on this endless cycle. So you're looking at 11 years and you're looking at his age. So clearly he was older. So I feel like yeah. part of his misogyny, misogyny, forgot what it was that he's older that they got that married. That he was old, yeah. yeah. So that he's older, and like his this part of the misogyny kind of plays into that. And then she marries, and she's more meek, just because you married an older man, and he's set in his ways. 
Not that I'm saying that's and great. She wanted Obviously, that. I don't think it's great. And yeah. she wanted that to a certain extent. At that point in her life, yeah, I think yeah. That that's what she knew. Right? Yeah, and I don't think their age is that different, right? I mean, they're probably 10 years different, something like that. Like, I didn't feel like she was supposed to be, you know, in her, you know, right. 20s or even no. in her 30s. Yeah, I just felt like that they married older, but he was significantly yeah. older when they did marry. I mean, I guess I'm going to be the positive. I'm going to be the positive guy in this movie. I feel like I w- would hope that if he hadn't died – Right, if he hadn't had the heart attack, that he could have realized, right, that wait a minute, you know, she's going through a thing. She could have gone through it and told him what was going on. He would have been receptive to that, and then they could have met in. I want to say met halfway, but they could have changed to make their relationship work. Now maybe they couldn't have because he's old and he's set in his ways and he wants to be the guy in charge, the dominant, right? And now she doesn't want to be the submissive anymore, so she's going to be like, look, I don't want to do this. Perfectly fine, right? But maybe they could have because I didn't, I didn't think he – like with the dog, with the dog and the meat thing, right? They, they don't – like they don't have an argument so much, but he's like initially like, oh my god, that was like – that was like $200 meat, whatever he says, whatever it was. $200 a portion. A portion Kobe or whatever. From yeah. Kobe. Yeah, so he's a one percenter. So you got to like – you got to forgive him maybe a little bit of that. But you know what I mean? But then he didn't, didn't yell at her. He's just, yeah, okay, leave it for the dog and let's go it in. It was very go, condescending. You know? It was very he, condescending. He doesn't yell at her. He does everything but scream at her. Are you yeah. kidding me? Oh, I, that's why I said it was like a mini fight. It was right. the fight without the fight. Right. Yeah, it right. was like, let me throw this out here. This is $200. I'm the one making the money is what I got the impression of. Like, you do not have a say on where my $200 Kobe beef serving goes to. Yeah, why are you giving that to like yeah, my mangy some... dog that's in the neighborhood? No, see, exactly. I didn't, see, I didn't read that. I read it him mm-hmm. saying like, I got, well, the, well, your opinion, but my mm-hmm. way I read it was him saying... I went and got this meat for us for our special weekend. Like, it's really expensive. I really yeah, want it to be special. He is. And he's and like, offended that she's giving it well, to the mangy well, dog. That's okay that he's offended. But but he does. But he says, in the end, she's like, well, I'll take it back in. He's like, no, no, no. Leave it out. That's fine. Because he's hoping to get his rape fantasy going on. <laughs> well, I, it wasn't because he was being kind. He wanted to get laid. Hence the two... Percocets, not Percocets, Viagras. Yes. Yeah, I don't know Which why. Which also, by the way, I totally missed that he took two. I, actually, I missed that he took two. I knew that they really showed the little blue pill. But. Yeah, me too. I missed that they took two. But in this, you know, it makes so much more sense that he does take two and has the heart attack. Right. Yeah, Because I was originally thinking he took one and he had not taken them before and he had a heart attack. But then, of course, later in the movie, they talk about him taking the pills. And you're like, wait a second. Now he's been taking these for like years and he hasn't had an issue before? Mm-hmm. So but he wasn't oh, getting hard enough on those, so he had to take the second. I guess. Now I got to go and back and see. And the rape fantasy. And the handcuffs. And the handcuffs. However, despite the fact that I hated his character, he, for his age, was in phenomenal shape. Oh, yeah. Amazing. I agree. He did. He I looked agree. amazing. Yeah, he, he was did. cool. And yeah. to have to act in Bruce. black, what do they call those? Not, not, they're not, they're, they're the boxer briefs. Boxer briefs, yeah. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for a 60 year, 62 year old gentleman yeah in very nice pretty darn good shape i know what is his secret please let my husband know double viagra <laughs> apparently he's gonna listen to this and yell at me later <laughs> i love so- you jimmy Stewart. sorry jimmy <laughs> i'm trying to hold down the bro front here lots of boss. crunches where are you i i would be interested in what he would say regarding uh, <laughs> gerald's disposition and wandering ways I dispute the wandering ways. We know you do. (laughs) The dog enters and Jesse tries to scare it away, but it bites a chunk out of Gerald's arm and eats it. 
Gerald stands up and begins talking, but Jesse notices his body remains on the floor. He taunts Jesse about the truths of their strained marriage and his erectile dysfunctions. He then informs her that she has wasted hours already doing nothing, and she's beginning to suffer from dehydration and fatigue. Jesse miraculously pulls her hand out of the cuff and breaks free. She gloats to Gerald, but then turns around and tells herself the one's still trapped that it is easy to escape. Gerald and the self-assured Jesse tell things about herself and Gerald that she never had the courage to acknowledge. They trigger her to remember the glass of water above the bed, which she is able to reach but cannot bring all the way down to her mouth. The hallucinations remind her of the tag she put on the shelf, which she rolls into a straw in order to reach the water. Jesse falls asleep, wakes up in the dark, and sees a tall, deformed, obscured figure who reveals a bag of various bones and trinkets. She closes her eyes, saying, you are not real, but Gerald appears to say that the figure is death, waiting to take her. Gerald begins to call Jesse Mouse, which unsettles her. This triggers a memory of her father, Tom, who affectionately referred to her as Mouse. She is 12 years old, vacationing at a lake house with her family. As Jesse and her father sit alone outside to watch a solar eclipse, he suggests she sit on his lap, as she did when she was younger. Once on his lap, he masturbates. The handcuffed Jesse awakes to intense pain due to her circulation being cut off and cramping. Gerald and the confident Jesse are skeptical about her claims that she dealt with the pressure of keeping such a secret and her claims that it had nothing to do with her marriage, even though she married a man just like her father. Gerald teases Jesse about the disfigured man she saw, whom he calls the man made of moonlight, and points out what he suspects is a bloody footprint on the floor. After the eclipse, her father tells her he was ashamed of what he did and manipulates her into agreeing never to tell anyone. Yeah, the dog eating the guy was pretty intense, I thought. Yeah, the sounds that, that it was making was awful. Oh, the elasticity of the skin, I thought was just, oh, and like the veins pulling out. Mm -hmm. And then how he gets a piece of the flesh and he's pulling it, mm -hmm. like not even just gnawing on it like a bone, like most dogs do, but he's like, oh, just, yeah, like a rubber band. Yeah. Like, which, you know, skin is so elastic. So you're kind of like, oh, I guess it would do that, ew. <laughs> I yep. guess I'm surprised that a dog would automatic, and, and I don't know about feral dogs, or I don't even know if you could call him feral because he had a collar, but I, I just was surprised at how quickly he would be like, oh, I'm just going to wander into this open house and just start gnawing on a body that's on the ground. Like, they automatically sense that? Yeah, I thought that was a bit much, personally. I mean, they had the blood that was spilled, but even for a dog that had known humans previously, no... Actually, that's not to say. So if there are dogs that are owned by really abusive humans that are known to attack humans, they'd be more likely, in my mind, to eat a human. Um, but if it was a more normal human-dog relationship, I mean, even just seeing a human face and a human body, you would think that it would not naturally even bite it or eat it. But I guess if it's that starving, mm -hmm. that's the idea. Yeah, I don't know. I just think it was it was good. I mean, as far as like amping up the tension i mean you have to have something the dog was effective i thought it was definitely effective because she's trying to fight him away like so clearly despite the dysfunctional relationship that they had she's still trying to protect and preserve the body yeah as much well, as she can while being handcuffed to the bed either that or she's protecting her sanity by not wanting a dog to eat a person in front of her i mean either way it doesn't matter but like yeah i wouldn't want i don't care who it is i wouldn't want to watch a dog eat him Really, be honest I like how they call that out in the movie, where when Gerald appears, he goes, well, if you're going to lose your mind when you see a dog start to eat a human corpse right in front of you, that's a good time to do it, or something like that. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, oh, yep, if you're going to have a break with reality, that could do it. 
So I liked the Ghost Gerald. I'm calling him Ghost Gerald. I don't know. He's not a ghost, but yeah, Ghost Gerald. But one piece of this movie really, really, really annoyed me. And that was he has no shirt on except for one scene where he has like a short sleeve button down on when he comes up from the bed yeah, after the Moonlight but Man. But you didn't get that because he's mocking the dad. That's when he calls her mouse. I guess. Is that what it is? But yeah. Is that what the dad's wearing? The exact yes. same shirt? Mm-hmm. Okay. Because yes. I was wondering why he was wearing that. Because you didn't see the dad before that. I think that's when he says it, right? And he yes. goes into it? Okay. You're right. right. You're right. It's like very weird. He's wearing like this Hawaiian button down shirt. And you're like, what's the deal with the bowling shirt, dude? Yeah. I but, thought it was gray. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And then, yep. Then that's him mocking the dad. That's him embodying the dad. Yeah, I think that's her remembering the dad, right? It's her, the, the memory is starting to surface. So he's starting well, to take on. She's conflating the two, which yeah, is the point. Yeah, he's starting to take right. on aspects of the of the father, yeah. Which he doesn't yeah. really do much of. They don't really play that very much then. That's Thank pretty much God. it. Ugh. Yeah, that's kind of skeevy. So I'm kind of glad they left it as minimal as they did. Yeah, I was okay with that too. Do the dad memories, do the Gerald memories. Also, um, in the trailer, you don't see her talking to herself. So you don't see the angel and the demon, which I thought was really cool when you when she pops up and she's coaching herself. Mm-hmm. So she's got Gerald on one side and herself on the other side. And I I really loved that her spirit self <laughs> was way more badass. You know, yes. it was like, get your shit together. You've got this was like the motivational coach she's needed all along. But did you I got the impression though that both Gerald, Ghost Gerald and Ghost Jesse were both trying to help her in their own way. Like, yeah. Gerald wasn't really trying to k- keep her dead. He was just, like, being the negative version. He was, like, negatively trying to get her motivated. And, like, the, the ghost Jesse was trying to positively get her motivated, you know, because he was like, you've wasted time. You don't have whatever. Like, he's trying to be real with her. The negative self-talk. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, it was, it was just interesting how they both were, in the end, probably trying to have her be successful. I felt like he was definitely personifying the negative self-talk, which is sometimes helpful and sometimes not not helpful. Sure, yeah. And I think that was shown in the movie. It so kind of it was both it, ways, yeah. It did. Yeah, and that's what I'm saying is that, you know, he had those scenes where he was basically just berating her. Right. But like we berate ourselves mm-hmm. type of thing where you play these scenes over and over again in your head and you just go, I was so stupid. Why did I say that? And then he did this and I should have blah, 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 like whatever. Um, so it was very real. Like, in fact, if we went back and watched it again and was really just kind of thought of it that way, I'm sure it would feel like very real conversations with ourselves. Sometimes right. when we beat ourselves up about those and types I of things. And I liked how as much as he berated her, there were times where he was gentle as well, which mm. you didn't really see out of the actual real living yeah gerald, gerald but yeah. yeah dead gerald was had some sweet tender moments to yeah, him so you're wondering was, if that was in real life he was all over the place yeah yeah gg gg <laughs> and i also liked how jesse when she's on the handcuffed jesse real i don't want to say real jesse yeah, real, real jesse um she so she like is disintegrating in front of your eyes like the makeup's wearing off but then her badass self her mental badass self mm-hmm. was gorgeous and mm-hmm. glamorous mm-hmm. so i thought that was cool yeah i did too i thought it was interesting because you really saw kind of like the before and the after right i was also laughing a little bit about like the whole timeline thing i was like man you just got to the house and like you're already in your skivvies and trying to have sex at like 2 p.m in the afternoon right man and kudos. five hours later she's like dehydrated there oh i know well also so. i was like you're lucky you didn't pop the champagne and drink any alcohol because mm-hmm. I mean, if it was me, (laughs) we would have gotten there. We would have, like, had something to eat. Like, I would have been partying. I would have been drunk by the time I was handcuffed to the bed. And, 
you know, you would probably passed out, woken up like 9 a.m. the next morning, and then you would have had some hell to pay trying to break out of that shit. Yeah, I think it was a little unrealistic how she did, how she got so thirsty and kind of descended very quickly over like, what, two days or whatever she was in there? Yeah. I mean, she's also really skinny, so I'm just going to give it to her. So who else thought you were watching another Haunting of show when it flashed back to the father? Because all of a sudden it was like, wait a minute. He was from Haunting Hill House. Right. And the mother. Yeah. She's from Haunting Hill House. But and and, and, Jess, and Jesse's from Haunting Hill House. Yeah. And you're like, yeah, no, it was that was pretty crazy. Yeah, I was surprised to see Theo as the mom. Yeah. Theo from Haunting of Hill House was the mom, but that was really cool. That yep. was crazy. This was almost like their interview, don't you think? Because it was 2017 Netflix production. True, yeah. So it was probably prior to Haunting of Hill House. It's all I could think. Yeah. So this was probably where maybe Netflix producers kind of met this cast. Yeah. And then it was so funny that, you know, Theo, who's sort of, you know, who's the daughter in Haunting of Hill House and is such a badass, is the weak mother <laughs> in this one where she's sitting there and has like no more than two lines in the entire right. thing. And it's just kind of like sitting back and watching like she she had made some comments about the dad, like, oh, you, she's just daddy's little girl or whatever, but never really... Followed mm-hmm. through with what her, I guess, assumptions were because I felt like she had an inkling of what was going on. That she wanted was a little to say too more. close. Yeah. She definitely wanted to say, yeah, that was absolutely, I agree, the whole point of that scene. And she did it so well. I mean, you can see it wasn't even, you couldn't even see her face. It was a silhouette of her in the next room over. And I thought she just delivered those lines so well that you really understood the meaning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know if I, I felt like she didn't, ne- wasn't necessarily thinking that he was doing going to do something wrong or that he was wrong at that point i felt like the in the later scene when they're in the dining room and he takes her out when she cuts her hand mm-hmm. i thought she was given like a little bit of like a weird because she knew something was going like weird was going on with her daughter type right. of thing I, I felt like the placement that the earlier scene was her almost exhibiting jealousy towards her daughter because her daughter was sure was like the daddy's girl and was always fighting with her. I mean, it was pretty self-explanatory sure, in the but, scene. But mamas know. Like, mamas know when something is up. And she knew something was up. Yeah, she didn't have to. Dress. Yeah. She didn't have to, you know, she didn't have to wait for her husband to masturbate on her daughter to know that there was an unhealthy relationship there, that there was something already going on. And Jesse might not have understood the fuller picture of what was happening with the dad prior to that. But like that mom was, she knew it was something was going on. And that's where she stopped, you know, talking. And then you see it, to your point, Ray, at the dinner table. And then Jessie references it in her sub-psyche where she's talking about protecting her younger sister and blah, blah, blah type of thing. Yeah, so. I, mean, I, yeah I, I was, the mother part was unclear to me, I think, ultimately. Because either you believe the mother was in denial, right? She knew something was going on, but she was in denial. Or you have to believe that she really didn't actually realize something was going on because of both the fact that she clearly doesn't think too badly of leaving the father with the daughter while she goes off on the boat. Who thinks she doesn't think that something's going on? I mean, do you think that she didn't know? I, I don't. I don't. First of all, I don't think anything was anything was going on until that scene. I think this that scene was the initial scene of him sort of like acting well, on whatever physically, whatever yes. he was doing. But yeah. like mentally. If he was too close to her in ways that were inappropriate. inappropriate. Yeah, no, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that's not true. Yeah. I mean, that, that's what she was referencing. Well, I think she was referencing the daughter's side of it. Right. I don't know that she saw she the was, father's side of it. That's what I don't, I don't know. I, I felt don't, like, like you were blaming the daughter because of the short skirt or dress that she was wearing. 
Like she meant she pulls up that like that reference of like the the you were this dress is too short and she's like I'm twelve. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, but I also felt like that's just a mom thing. And I felt like she was really putting the onus on the dad. And then she sh- she should have more. She wanted to say more. She wanted to call out more, but she was afraid to. Mm-hmm. Again, this is in the 50s or whatever, yeah, right? I think it was the 50s. Okay. Yeah, it was. Yeah, I was I thinking it was like 70s, but I don't know. Um, gosh, I'm trying to remember. Would, I think I, they, it, they said when the eclipse was. It wouldn't oh, have been the 50s right. because she would have been born in the 40s and then she would have been very old in – Assuming it takes place in 2018. But we don't know that it's modern day. No, yeah, so we don't know that. I mean, there's an iPhone, I was thinking so it it's was, at least 2007. But it was written in 92, so I assumed. But yet they have cell phones, so I'm assuming it takes place. Has he had an iPhone, so I'm assuming it takes place at least in 2007. Okay. I but, watched a documentary called Abducted in Plain Sight that happened. Oh, Did I you was going to watch that. It was yeah. advertised after I watched it. It is insane. Yeah. Because the same girl gets abducted by the same guy twice, and the family is just clueless. So in the 70s, they didn't even really have a term for pedophile. So I feel like Ugh. if this occurred either in the 60s or the 70s, yeah. that they wouldn't have known how to identify it. And the mom wouldn't have necessarily thought, hey, something actually wrong is occurring because they didn't have that defined. Right. And I just – to the point that we were trying to circle back to is that I think it was very likely for the mothers to blame, like, the daughter, to blame mm-hmm. the child because she is in denial that her husband, that the adult of the situation, you know, the breadwinner, the master of the house – isn't acting accordingly. I mean, right, what, with what's his own she, kid. What's yeah. she going to do? Like, you see those other movies where they're like, you know, what am I supposed to do? Divorce my husband? And she's with pregnant. With three yeah. kids with one on the way type of thing? And then, you know, there's not... It, yeah, it's just not the world that we live in today. You know, I, I think you have something going on there with the 70s and not them not being able to articulate what, they, what they're experiencing as being wrong. And I do think that she was putting it on the daughter. And I don't think she was putting it on the husband. That's how I read that initial scene. Um, until, and obviously I guess through the sort of com- psychic conversation Jesse has with herself that she never did really come around to understanding that the husband had done something wrong or he was going to do stuff wrong to the other daughters. That was a little vague too. I feel like the book probably did a lot more to explain right. what was going on was there. Was there more than just that incident? It almost felt like there was. Yeah, I, I don't know. you don't know. I mean, I got the impression that there wasn't because – but why would she assume she that they would that he would go after the other? Yeah, and why would you, it's exactly yeah. you're exactly right. I, there was a confusion in there. I couldn't right. see. I I guess I guess the way I read it ultimately to make myself not confused was he did that to her, and she said she was never going to tell, and then she felt like she had to be vigilant for her sister sisters whatever. And although he maybe never did anything, she didn't feel like a kid anymore because she always had to be vigilant. That's kind of right. how I read that. I guess that could be it. I, I didn't feel like the the husband or the father. I'm sorry, I didn't feel like the father was especially domineering, right? I feel like he was a weak person, which is why he was sort of doing this with his daughter as opposed to fixing his relationship with his wife or doing whatever. You know what I mean? Like I felt like there was a – obviously there's a perversion there. Yeah, I just feel like he probably came across as weak in the beginning, but then when he's starting to argue – not argue to her, but defend – or given an explanation as to how they should handle it, it was very forceful. Oh no, when he's and talking when he's talking to yeah, the daughter, I was right. Say, oh yeah, that's that's a mini- that's bedroom. manipulation. That's manipulation yeah. at like mm-hmm. but that, maximum that's level. Juxtaposes, juxtaposed, juxtaposed with the relationship with the husband. The other cool character in this movie is our Moonlight Man. So she's laying in bed, 
And again, very like haunting of Hill House. She looks over in the corner in the shadows and sees something. And suddenly this giant man, our Moonlight Man, emerges. What did you guys think? Did you think he was a real character to begin with? I honestly, I think I was very confused because I knew there were burglaries. (laughs) But you didn't expect Twin Peaks Monster Man to come out of the corner. (laughs) Um so I don't know at the I don't know if I had figured it out that he was real until the very end when he's in the courtroom and it is him with his disfigurement. Yeah. I thought it was really just kind of creepy how he sat there with his box of trinkets. Yeah. You know, and then I'm like super impressed, first of all, that you caught all about the burglaries on the radio in the beginning. I think that that was like a really critical clue that just for me went in one ear and out the other. I don't know. I mean, I was in like such shock with him coming out of the corner. And then they had those nightmarish flashes. Remember when like, oh my God, I jumped out of my bed when they flash when she passes out and then suddenly it flashes to Moonlight Man with his golden rimmed eyes licking her feet. Yeah. So oh my God. And then she wakes up and it's a dog. I didn't know that that was him versus just another demon. Yeah, so I think there's two things going on here, and I don't necessarily think it was a good idea in the movie. Maybe the book made it it was more clear, but you know, there's this man who clearly is real, but then there is the not real sort of death guy that he that Gerald's talking about that has like the red eyes or the glowing eyes or whatever it is, right? Because he's in the car with her and says mouse at the end right and she wrecks he clearly doesn't exist he's clearly not real that guy was clearly not in the car with her it was confusing in the movie and i don't know what it added to it yeah i felt like the the demon more glowing eyed persona was not necessarily the moonlight man's face i thought it was more of like kind of like the dad's face oh but then as i was reading trying to find fun facts for this but didn't find too many some people are saying it was supposed to be more like the dad, but other people were saying it was just the figment of her imagination of the Moonlight Man instead yeah. of – so you have your real and your fake of everything. Right. And that's like how I was yeah. taking it, but he definitely looked different. Yeah. I mean, it's not like they took the Moonlight Man and like put contacts on him and let her let him lick her feet. <laughs> like it did look visually different. So you knew something was going on, but mm, yeah, I just didn't know what, what was up. So maybe that's fair to say like that was the real de- demon or maybe that really was death because death kind of showed up to her in those scenes, whereas the Moonlight Man <laughs> was the literal burglar. Jessie remembers cutting her hand the night of the eclipse when she squeezed a glass too hard when her mother asked her about the eclipse. The adult Jessie smashes her water glass and cuts her wrist in a way that enables her to peel back the skin, allowing her bloody hand to slip through the cuff. She drags the bed to the key, unlocking the other hand. She drinks water and bandages herself then passes out on the floor from blood loss and fatigue. When she wakes, the man made of moonlight is at the end of the hall and she gives him her wedding ring for his trinket bag. She makes it to her car and drives away but sees the man again in the back seat. The car crashes into a tree, but people from a nearby house come out. Six months later, Jessie is writing a letter to her 12-year-old self, struggling to write with her hand that needed skin grafts. Voiceovers and scenes describe how she had pretended to have amnesia over the whole ordeal of being trapped, avoiding painful questions. She used some of Gerald's life insurance to start a foundation for victims of sexual abuse, but each night the man made of moonlight still appears before her as she falls asleep. 
Her wedding ring was never found in the house, and she learned from the news that a man who had acromegaly causing disfiguration of his head is a serial killer who dug up crypts, stealing bones and jewels, and occasionally eating the faces of male corpses. This explains why he did not harm Jesse in the house, and also why Gerald's face was disfigured. Jesse arrives at court as the Moonlight Man is being sentenced and calls for his attention. He quotes what she said before leaving the house, indicating that he was, in fact, there at the time. Seeing... Also, Gerald's in Tom's face, where his face is, she says, you are so much smaller than I remember, and walks triumphantly out into the street with the sunlight gleaming down over her. The hand cutting. I could have done with, oh, God. Guess what that's called? Degloving. Oh, God. That's degloving from the void when you were like, what's degloving? That's degloving. It is not related to sexual relations and, you know, protection. <laughs> I was just, oh. Separate reference. Oh, I know. Isn't that crazy how they came full circle as yeah. we talked about that with the void? Oh, my exactly. God. Oh, that was so gross. And, like, the flesh. And then I felt like as she was pulling her hand through the cuff, you could almost see, like, our tendons and everything, like, oh, yeah. stretch. Oh, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You could oh. see that. Oh, my God. The little skin flap thing. I was like, Ugh. oh. I don't know how they did that with that effect. That was very effective. Ooh, yeah. I don't know. I, I mean, on one hand, you're kind of like it was effective in the way that she was like visualizing, you know, what you have to do next and the escape and all these things. But then I was kind of like, it didn't feel very effective how she cut her hand, per se. I was like, that's, you know, when you talk about handcuffs, people always do the traditional like dislocate my thumb. Right, or, yeah. You know, or sever your thumb or sever, you know, maybe like your pinky or something like that. I mean, she cut her wrist and then she cut straight up the middle of her oh, hand. Yeah, and I was like, awful. oh. Yeah, I do appreciate the fact, though, that if you're going to pull your hand through handcuffs, that's what's really going to happen. Like, I feel like they didn't shy away from that. It was right. like, oh, it just scraped the skin off of her thumb. It was like, oh, no, 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 no. No, it ripped the whole entire skin off of her entire hand. I felt mm-hmm. having seen an autopsy that that was realistic not that i am an expert at this or anything the skin being pulled back like that seemed really true to form and i know he did the dad or the husband i keep calling him the dad the husband made a comment saying that even if you broke your wrist you're not going to get through these handcuffs so i think that they had already established that no matter what you did you had to go to the extreme to get out but oh that was awful yeah no it was nasty yeah so she she gets out she bandages herself and then she gives her little trinket to the to the moonlight man, who is the real guy, right? This is the real guy standing in her house. That was a hell of a ring to give away, too. Yeah. What was that ring? It was gorgeous. It, it was, was like aquamarine. Yeah. But I'm know. also like, that's like an engagement ring. That's yeah, it was not ring. a wedding ring. That's yeah. weird. That's the best misogyny you can buy. Those were her uh, handcuffs. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> that is true. Her yeah. handcuffed her marriage. Okay, so she gives him the ring, and then it then she gets in the accident. And then it moves into like the six months later montage, which I really felt was the weakest part of the movie. I felt like the movie fell down once she kind of got out off the bed because you have this, you're not, you're getting like the voiceover, the compression of time. And she just sort of is throwing information at you. You know what I mean? Instead of like telling the movie, telling it, you know what I mean? Like you don't know, all of a sudden you're like, she's like, oh yeah, the guy was real and he did all this stuff. And you know, she kind of explains it all instead of the movie showing you you know it's not her fault as a character but you know what i mean like the 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 way the movie structured yeah i didn't like the way that it was structured at the end i felt like it very much felt like an epilogue to me it felt like this is based on a book and suddenly it's like epilogue and then you know a totally separate fragmented portion narratively that they go through i didn't notice ray to your point as much of her telling us 
her truth through that. But obviously she was writing the letter to her former self, which was like a little weird. I appreciate that as mechanism, but in the movie, I didn't feel like it 100% translated. And I like the idea of generally, oh, wow, there's this interesting twist that the Moonlight Man is actually real and he was actually a burglar. And that actually ties in with the radio broadcast in the beginning. Like the whole idea was kind of cool. And actually, I love the scene where she goes to the courtroom and she goes up to the guy and he says, right, you're not real. You're made of moonlight. I loved that scene. I thought that was amazing. Um, But the way that it was pulled together in this just kind of self-dialogue type of thing was a little weird to me. I didn't have a problem with it, and I don't know if maybe I was just tired. happy with the fact that the movie <laughs> wasn't extremely long for this type of, you know, scenario, but I felt like it was more of like a, she got out, she's trying to fix her life, and it was more of an empowerment thing, so of course it was all about her. And that's where I didn't take it as like a monologue, as more of as like a she has achieved what she's needed to move on in her life. So she, I mean, I thought the letter was a little bit weird because what is what is that really going to help? But I guess it's just for her to like almost verbal vomit everything that was horrible that ever happened to her. Yeah. And I like the idea. I mean, for me, it was hard because I really love the idea that she had started that foundation. And you're like, I don't want to take away from that with the idea that, well, she's finding herself and she's finding her voice and she's... She has this foundation. She's helping others. I mean, all of that is really honorable and really amazing. And then you've got this sort of weird subplot of the Moonlight Man is real, and she feels like she has to go to the courthouse to actually see him. And you're like, well, you're not accusing him of anything. You just go there to be like, hey, oh, he is real. Okay, let me leave in triumph. Like, the whole thing, you know, I like the Moonlight Man scene. Like I said, I love that courtroom scene, but... In the whole ending, it was almost like they had these two discrete ideas that they were trying to mesh together with the letter to her former self with, you know, baby Jesse. And I was like, I don't know. There's a lot going on here. It just didn't jive. I agree with that. So I also read two different versions of how people are interpreting the ending with the Moonlight Man. Okay. So either people feel that the Moonlight Man did not kill Jesse because she was female and he theoretically only went after males right Mm -hmm. or that he didn't believe that she was actually real and that she was made of moonlight but in the first version of you know he just doesn't kill her because she's female he says you're made of moonlight in order for her to know that he was actually there like that was her realization yes you said what i said right that you must have been real that's how i interpreted it that's how i interpreted it as well because he would have seen her on the bed and known that she wasn't necessarily but fake, like you know? well, she gave in him my a ring. yeah in my head I thought he also didn't think she was real because who walks into a house and sees a woman handcuffed to a bed with a dead man on the floor mm-hmm. like it just seemed too convenient and I wonder if in his mind the whole scenario was just fucking I'm sure. weird I'm sure I totally agree like that whole situation must have been really super weird and when you said oh he interpreted her as potentially not being real I was like oh that's fascinating like i really like that idea um if she hadn't been there for a couple of nights if it had only been the last night i would have 100 percent agreed with that because imagine her you know even bloody hand and all walking down the hallway in that slip towards him and in and a very empowered way pulling off her wedding ring and giving it to him and like saying you know you're not real you're made of moonlight or whatever like moving on type of thing right um i mean that whole thing would have been very ghostly Right. So I totally I in mean, this 
gown too. Exactly. Like all of it would be exactly. bizarre. Yeah. The one thing that I thought was interesting is they never mentioned that they found her ring. They even said we went back to his house and we found his family and they were scalped and eaten and blah, blah, blah. But I kept waiting for them to say that's where we recovered the ring right. type of thing. But even then, even in the epilogue type of we found uh, the perpetrator, never found the ring. Yeah. So hmm. that's why he could have potentially thought she was never real because he didn't actually have the evidence if he lost it somehow. Yeah. And, and did she really even do it? Right. I don't know. Like, yeah. I, I think in many ways we keep assuming that a lot of these things were concrete occurrences. But, I mean, she's so dehydrated and that out of it. Sense. And she doesn't know what she's seeing or saying. Or... And then lies to the cops about the amnesia. Yeah. So she could have just taken it off and not actually given it to him. I mean, you don't know. Maybe she thought she saw him. I just don't know. I mean, the whole thing's interesting. Yeah, I didn't think that the movie played the um, unreliable narrator card very much I, I don't think it played it at all as a matter of fact i mean i think it was pretty i felt like it was pretty clear that the camera what the camera was capturing was sort of independently verifiable right like you could tell when they were showing things from her sort of skewed perspective i felt like that's kind of so i felt like she probably gave him the ring although i do agree why didn't they find the ring which is a good question like why didn't they find it was it really him that she gave it to was it like the the death guy or whatever. Yeah, no, I, I mean, know. yeah, he could have yeah. done something with it. I mean, sure, obviously. But, I mean, you don't really know what his mental state is either. Like, he doesn't seem to be – he's one of the Stephen King special people, right? The, like, mentally yeah. handicapped people who have – He ate kind of men. Special. Yeah, dead men. So I feel like he can't possibly be all that with it. Yeah. <laughs> a few issues going on yeah, there. Yeah, he's got a couple of problems here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Okay, is that wrap it up? Uh, are we going to do Kill, Chill, Let's and Thrill? Let's do Kill, Chill, and Thrill. All right. So for Kill, we kill somebody we dislike. For Chill, we hang out with somebody who we think would be cool. And Thrill is having sex with somebody we think is hot. So, Anne. Oh, God. I don't know. <laughs> this, is, this is the worst. Uh, all right. All right. We got like three characters here. Yeah. I. <laughs> all right. Um, I am going to kill the Moonlight Man. Super creepy. Eight. His parents, I guess he's got to die. Like, on some level, I feel a little bit bad for him because he seems, like we were saying, maybe a bit of a simpleton, like maybe like mental issues, mental health issues. But I feel like by the time we caught him, he was too far gone. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry, Moonlight Man. Uh, you've got you've to go. Um, chill. You know what? Honestly, I, I'm, I'd chill with Jesse. I feel like she needs some strong female empowerment. I feel like she could use a good life coach, and I think we could have a good bonding session over that. Um, I think I think we could turn her life around in a, in a good way. And thrill. I mean, <laughs> what are our options? We've got you know a masturbating dad, and <laughs> you know a rape fantasy, you know sixty something. So I, I, I'm going to go with Mr. Benjamin. I'm going to go with um, the rape fantasy. <laughs> seems like the safe choice sadly <laughs> <laughs> safe question mark? i don't know i don't know but um you know i think minus the double viagra and minus the mean streak i think he could be a lot of fun i think you need to do your research on your handcuffs first and then you can go proceed i'm going to bring my uh you know pink fluffy feathered uh plastic version <laughs> And um, apparently keep them with the release button very close. The ones that don't even have keys. Let's go with that. All right. Right. <laughs> <laughs>
All right. Well, I would probably kill the father. I think he's pretty useless. Um, he's the adult. He's obviously got some sort of something messed up in his head. It's his daughter. So he's got to go. Uh, as far as chill, I'm going to chill with the dog. Because he's pretty cool, minus the eating people. If you chill with him before he gets to the dead body, you know, give him some Kobe beef. Maybe you grow one for him yourself, you know. So I'm going to chill with the dog. And as far as thrill, you know, for lack of a better choice, <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm going to go with pregnant Theo. I'm going to go with pregnant Theo because, oh my gosh. I mean, if, we're, if, it's, if it's a movie about kinks and it's between rape fantasy and pregnant mom, Sex, I guess I'm going to go with pregnant mom. You can have Jesse outside the handcuffs. Yeah, I wasn't. I, I'm you, not, I'm, you didn't like her because she was too weak. I, I, I didn't. I, yeah. Well, plus, like, I, I kept on flashing back to her crazy ghost from the, the haunting hill uh, house. And, yeah. Yeah. So. so for kill, I'm double murdering the husband and the dad because both of them are a-holes. And yeah. misogynist is my blood right thing. <laughs> <laughs> for chill, I'd hang out with Jesse. I thought she seemed cool. And for thrill, I also was going to have sex with Theo. <laughs> ah! yeah, same, same. So right, and I could share. What are we drinking tonight? Menage a trois, right over there. There you go. There you right. go. Okay. That's there right. we go. That's there right. we go. All right. The dog can watch. Yeah. <laughs> with Kobe beef, plenty of Kobe beef. Yeah. Oh, I don't want anybody nipping at my ankles. I know, right? Yeah, no, it's gross. <laughs> All right, all right. Well, now that we've reviewed the movie, uh, it's time to rate it. So only the best movies make it to the top of the hill, and to be the best, they have to perform in three categories. First is technical composition, which represents how well the movie is made, including script, directing, cinematography, acting, and effects. Second is impact, which represents how well the movie accomplished its emotional intent. Was it scary or funny? Did it make you question mankind or the nature of your reality? And finally, enjoyment, which is pretty simple. How much do you enjoy watching the movie? Would you watch it again? Do you never want to watch it again? Now, our scale goes from a 1 to a 10, with a 1 being the worst and a 10 being the best. All right, Helen, what's your rating? What are your ratings? All right, for technical, I gave it a 7. I didn't really see too much wrong with this. I didn't really think that the demon version of the Moonlight Man was my favorite effect. But other than that, I had no problems. For impact, I gave it a 6. I thought it was good. And then for enjoyment, I gave it an 8. I enjoyed it. Okay. I liked it. All right. Anne. Okay. My scores are very similar to Helen's. For technical, I gave it an eight. I thought the same thing. They didn't try to overextend themselves from a special effects perspective. The degloving was really well done. <laughs> I, I enjoyed the creepy ghost crypt keeper freaking golden eyes thing it made me jump out of my bed so um for sure that was scary for impact um all in all it this was definitely more of a slow burn i really do love psychological thrillers i like the back and forth a little bit between the he and she so i gave that a six as well and for enjoyment i enjoyed it i didn't love it um would i watch it again now that we've talked about it i would watch it again just to see you know what else i could pick up on i gave it a seven okay well i liked talking about this movie much more than i liked any aspect of this movie so uh technical composition i gave a four i felt like it fell down on the third act you have this whole big sort of let's tell everything we didn't couldn't show you in the movie in the last two minutes for impact i gave it a three uh it it came off to me like a lifetime movie, right? I felt felt you could feel feel that, and it, it did have the degloving was I think the most impactful part of the movie. I think talking about the movie impacts me more than actually watching the movie did. Uh, and so enjoyment, I w gave a three as well. Um, I, I really 
didn't think much of this movie. It was okay, you know, but I probably wouldn't watch it again. And I'm not sure I would recommend it to anybody um, over a slew of other movies, which I would uh, much rather watch and recommend. Okay, so for the ratings at the end of the day, Helen, you rated this at a solid seven. Um, I agreed with you, also rating this as a solid seven. And Ray, you brought it up at the bottom of the heap with your lifetime reference with a 3.33, bringing this movie to a grand total of 5.78. All right, well, that puts Gerald's game in the number 11 slot tied with The Ring. Obviously, it is not at the top of the hill, and that's out of the 20-some movies we have now reviewed. The only things lower being Terrifier, Bram Stoker's Dracula, Evil Dead 2, and 13 Ghosts. Fun. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, if you enjoyed this podcast, help us grow our audience. Please rate and review us on iTunes and share with your friends and family on Facebook, Twitter, and other social media platforms. Give us a shout out to tell us how we're doing or suggest movies to review. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter. You can also email us at host.hgh at gmail.com. I want to thank you for joining us for this episode of Hilltop Horror Movie Reviews. I'm your host, Ray Richards, and on behalf of my co-host, thank you for listening, and I hope you'll join us next time 